you want to turn with me to John chapter 5, uh, if you're a guest here with us, uh, I want to welcome you here. If you're in this room or live stream or in the amphitheater, uh, we just want to welcome you. We're glad that you're all here. Uh, we're in a series uh, through John. Uh, we're up to chapter 5, and uh, it's called Fully Alive. Uh, John, who walked with Jesus, uh, who heard Jesus teach, who saw his miracles, 50 years after the fact, he uh, sat down and he pulled from his archive uh, of all that Jesus had done and all he had seen and has written this book specifically so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and then believing that you and I, we would have life in his name. And so we are glad that you are with us as you are on your way to John chapter 5, there's just a little bit of family time that I want to do, just to speak to us as a family of faith. Uh, there's really three things that I want to talk about, okay? Uh, the first thing is uh, back in February, we as a church family voted to check on the feasibility and the cost of expanding this worship center. We talked at that time about the possibility that we would have enough information in May to be able to ask you to think about that and to vote on that. And uh, my announcement this morning is we don't have that information uh, in May, okay? And so, uh, and so it is coming, and uh, I would just ask you in the meantime, would you please continue to pray and seek God's will and to give us as a church family uh, unity but also wisdom and direction, okay? So that's the first thing. The second thing is that I'm uh, incredibly thankful uh, to every one of you who are in college. You guys are either in fall, uh, uh, week of finals or you've just finished, and uh, uh, we're praying for you. I want you to know uh, that as a church family, we are incredibly grateful for your presence here at Providence, your, your influence to us. Yeah, you can say thank you to them. Um, and if there's any of you who are seniors, uh, and uh, this, is, uh, this is your last finals week, um, uh, we just want to say, first of all, congratulations, uh, well done, and if uh, by you graduating, it forces you to leave uh, this city and to leave Providence. Uh, we just want you to know that we love you. You're always welcome here. And uh, we are grateful uh, that we had you here while we did. Okay, So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is two weeks ago, we um, had a video and we showed about the importance that we place here at Providence and want to place upon training up our next children uh, all of the children that we have at Providence, almost 500 children that are in smaller rooms while we're meeting in here, and the importance for us to actually disciple them and to train them up so that they can take this baton when we give it to them and say, we need you to lead now, and for them to have just the, 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 the faith that's fortified within their hearts, and that requires, because of their age um, and because of their stage, it requires people just like you and me. Uh, to to invest in their life and to say, you know what, I want to pour my life and what I understand from the scriptures into their lives. And so what we have asked and what we're asking is that we would have 200 volunteers starting in September to go into our life groups on Sunday morning for our children and to be an every week teacher. And we recognize that's a significant, significant sacrifice. We also recognize that that's among life's most significant privileges. See, for us to be able to pour into them is so incredibly important. Back when you voted on me back in June of last year, I told you that this, was, that this would be a, 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 a major rock that, that, that we really need to move at Providence, that for the sake of our children, to give them our very best. And so we're starting seeking to recruit about three or four months earlier than we normally do. And the reason is because if there's one area that we want fully funded before anything else, 
It's to care for our children. Okay? And so would you please pray? We're about a fourth of the way there. And so we're actually really happy about that. And I might say, oh my goodness, we've still got three fourths to go. Uh, we're, we're, we're actually happy about that. Uh, that's uh, really good news. But if you would consider praying about what that would look like in your life, uh, we, would, we would ask you to do that. And if you want to talk with somebody out in the uh, lobby as we're done, there's a little table and there's a little sign. Uh, and if you would just sign up there, okay? If you sign up there, you're not signing up to commit your life or even a year. What you're signing up for is that someone's going to contact you and talk about that, okay? So I would ask you to consider that. So with that, we need to pray and uh, jump into John chapter 6, uh, I'm sorry, 5, and, um, and then have the privilege to take the Lord's Supper. So if you would, let's bow and let's pray together. Father, we come to your word believing that it's true, that what you have spoken has the authority not only um, over our personal lives, but over us corporately as a church family and over the whole world. And so I pray, God, that as we open up this, this amazing chapter once again, and as we read it, I pray, God, that you would do what I can't do, and that is address every single person at the point of their need. You know where we all are at. You know the areas of burden and distraction in our heart. God, you know those those, those tense areas where our mind right now tends to run to. And I pray, God, that you would use this text to speak to us. Would you use it, Lord, to develop faith, to fortify faith? God, would you help us to believe it's true, to understand it, to apply it to our life? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, John chapter 5, uh, we're up to verse 25 through the end of the chapter. You'll notice that it's a part of a story that's all of chapter 5. Some of you were not here last week, so I want to jump back real quick make sure we're all on the same page. Jesus has come back to Jerusalem for a feast, and it says that he came to a pool near the temple, near the north side of the temple, where multitudes of hurting people gathered. And there at the pool, we're told that there was a man who had been sick, probably paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus sees this man and he has compassion in his heart. He knows where he's at. He walks straight up to this man they've never met before. And he says, get up, take up your bed and walk. And suddenly this man is healed. His muscle tissue literally came back to life at the spoken word of Jesus Christ. Now, the day happened to be a Sabbath. And Jesus knew that this was a Sabbath. He knew that at a feast in Jerusalem... All the people of Israel, they would, they would pilgrim there. And so this was an incredibly populated place. And it was at the central heart of the city, right outside the temple. And he knew that telling a man to pick up his bed violated one of 38 of the laws that the Pharisees had written, forcing people to obey the Sabbath. How do you obey the Sabbath? So you have to ask the question, why in the world would Jesus do this? He could have healed him and walked away and all things would have been fine. But no, what he wanted to do is he wanted to poke the bear. And what he did is he chooses to poke this legalistic bear in order specifically to declare and to express his own authority even over the Sabbath. Now, years ago, when I was on a mission trip in Zimbabwe, we went to a family's house and this family lived on this amazing uh, sort of a ranch and they had four pet lions which is a little unusual. We were, you could hear them kind of growling all through the night, which, is, which, was, which was interesting. It was, it was like good and bad at the same time. And, um, uh, and years before that, this, this, this uh, man had gone out to the cage and, 
and, uh, and he had tried to stick his hand through the cage, poke the lion on the backside, and then pull his hand back out before the lion got to him. And so by the time we met him, he had one arm, okay? True story, true story. Now, that was a tragic, foolish accident to poke the lion. This is not a foolish accident what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is on a specific mission to display his glory as the son of God and to expose himself intentionally to escalating tension in order to lead himself to a cross where he would pay for your sin and mine. And sure enough, the bear woke up. We read in verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And instead of retreating at that point, what we're told is Jesus decided to poke the bear again. He said, truly, truly, in verse 19, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. And this is where we ended last week. But you notice that John continues to record what Jesus spoke. And what I want to encourage and urge this morning is simply this. I would ask you not to listen as a passive, disinterested, unaffected observer. For what John has written here was written for your belief and mine. He could have left this. In the closet of his mind. But instead what he does is he, pan- he actually pens it specifically. It's recorded in scripture. And the whole part of this. The whole point of this. He says is that you and I would believe. That Jesus is the son of God. And so when he addresses what he's going to say. He's going he's to come pretty hard. Okay. He's going to come really hard actually. He's going to tell these people. They don't have the love of God or the word of God. In or near their life. He's going to tell them that Moses is in heaven accusing God the Father of their unbelief. So it's going to get pretty tense really quick, but you need to understand something. This is for us. So let's read what he says. I'm going to break it into chunks because it's a little larger. Verse 25, Jesus goes on. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And so what he has in mind in this text really is reasons why you and I should believe that Jesus is the Christ. The first reason, number one, if you want to take notes, is this. Is that Jesus will raise and judge the dead with his mighty voice. 
Now, I realize there's a lot of you, you guys have read books or watched movies about zombies. And we're sort of, we got this thing in our culture right now. Where we like things coming back from the dead and we like to watch that. I don't know why that is. But, and so when you start talking about Jesus has authority to raise people from the dead and then to judge them by the power of his voice, you know, this is kind of weird. But with Jesus, it's literally true. And he speaks here in these, just these few verses of two different resurrections. The first is a spiritual resurrection, and the second is a physical. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 25, an hour is coming. And then notice what he says, it's now here. So this resurrection is happening right now. But then he talks about a different hour that's coming, a different resurrection, where he says the hour will come, and he doesn't say, and it's here. And so he's talking about two different things even though it kind of looks like it's one. So let's talk about both of these. First of all, the spiritual resurrection. The Bible tells us that sin in each of our lives, it doesn't lead us to a doghouse. It leads us to God's morgue. Sin, we're told, it says that every single one of us, it says that we, when, when, when we sinned, it says that our heart literally died spiritually. We became unimpressed and unresponsive to God's proddings. And as a result of that, we did not go to a doghouse where we whimper in order to get God's attention and stir his mercy to let us back out of the cage. No, it says that we literally went to God's morgue where we were dead spiritually. And so what it says here is that Jesus Christ, by power that's been granted to him from the Father, he speaks and all of a sudden people who are dead spiritually, they're made alive. This is what he talked about back in John chapter three, where he says, unless you're born again, you will not go to heaven. He's talking about us inheriting a different heart where he's going to take the heart of stone away and he's going to give us a heart of flesh. I believe um, that, that there's a passage that Jesus perhaps had in mind, Ezekiel 37. It was a prophecy that God literally gave this Old Testament prophet. And he said, look, I want you to see this. I want you to write this down. This is going to happen in real time in real people's lives. It's going to kind of be an interesting prophecy. And I want to read part of it to you. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. So this is in the spirit. Okay. God is like showing him what's going to happen in the future. It says, and in this valley, it was full of bones and he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. Very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. I believe this is what Jesus is speaking of here is that he came from heaven to earth. And all of a sudden, by the power of his spoken voice in each of our lives, when we hear the gospel message that he came, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead. We believe that he has the power not only to call us to himself, but by the spoken word, he gives us a new heart. And we are raised spiritually from that spiritual death. And now we get to live. 
But then he says this, just when they're reeling, he says, now I want you to tell something else. I don't want you to marvel about this, but there's another day coming. And he says, and on that day, all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. So here's what he's talking about is the physical resurrection at the end. Now, you've got to remember, he's just healed a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years by his spoken word. And this is what Jesus is constantly doing. He's showing that he has authority over all things by doing it in one simple person. So what he's saying is this. Look, just as I spoke and regenerated the muscle tissue of a man that has been paralyzed for 38 years, a day is coming when my spoken words will regenerate the decomposed bodies of every single person that's ever been conceived. Every single person is going to be regenerated physically from a tomb. It doesn't matter if you are a thousand years old and decomposed into dust that Jesus, by the power of his spoken word, he speaks and dust comes back together. And all of a sudden he has the power to bring it back to life. He says that we will all be raised, but notice that we'll all be raised not to go to Disney, but we'll be raised to go to judgment. He says, and he will raise every single person from the dead. And then they will go to judgment. And some on the basis, it says that those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, if you just look at what he's saying there in those words, and if that was the only verse in the whole Bible, you might conclude that God determines eternal destiny on the basis of our good works. But God has spoken very, very clearly that you and I, we are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. We believe in him, and that is the only thing that is required for you to be forgiven of your sin, to be given his righteousness, to be given new life, and to be given eternal life. But what's interesting is the Bible also talks about that justifying faith attaches us to a vine that enables us to bear good fruit, good works, where we start obeying God. And so in a long time from now, we're going to be in John chapter 15. And you get to John chapter 15, verse 5, and it says this, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, there are no good works that we can do apart from the vine. So what this also means is you can't do good works to get on the vine. The only thing that you and I can do is believe in Jesus Christ. And it says that he regenerates our hearts spiritually. And then what happens is it allows us, enables us to start to do good works. Not to add to our account where it's all of our good works and Jesus. But what he's seeing is saying is that on the basis of the good works that I see that take place in response to your faith. You'll be distinguished as a believer. A son, a daughter, a child of God. But we're only attached by faith. Now, some of us, we start looking at these sorts of things and we think, man, this is kind of scary. It's like a, it's like a horror movie. Jesus got all of a sudden all these bones. I mean, who really wants to see that? You know, I mean, that's like a Hollywood movie and, and, and a scary one at that. But listen to me, Providence. 
want you to know that if you believe in Jesus Christ, this is a day that you do not need to fear. You see, the Bible tells us that those of us who are in Christ, we're not flying standby. We have a guaranteed ticket in hand, a boarding pass. Now, you've seen the difference between the two, perhaps. People that sit and rest and just wait for their turn, they don't even have to really have a bag with them, so they don't even care about getting in first. They just need to get in, and they know they're going to get in, so they can just sit, and they can, they can walk, watch you know, a little TV. A little. But then all of a sudden, you see the people that are flying standby, and they're really anxious. They walk around a lot, and they go up to the desk a lot, and they're checking, and they're looking around, seeing all the people, and it looks like a full flight. I don't know if I'm going to get in quite. This is not what you have to do. You don't have to fear. You can know for certain today that you're going to go to heaven. You see, the good thing is this, is that for those of us who know Jesus Christ, the reason it's not a day to fear is because this, is the, this will be the final day when the voice of Jesus Christ declares us justified and welcomes us home forever. I want you to think about that for a second. You see, for the unbeliever, this is a terrifying verse, but for the believer... This is, this is why we wake up. This is why there's hope. You see, you need to understand that Jesus lets nobody go out of existence. There is no such loss for the righteous, and there's no such hope for the wicked. And so they're probably a little bit uptight. And I think for us, Providence, as we look at this and we hear what Jesus is saying, just two applications I want to make before moving on. The first is this, is let's believe and stand in awe of Jesus' voice. You know, if Jesus Christ has the authority to speak and bring you back from the dead, then he also has the authority to speak and tell you how to spend your money. And think about masculinity and femininity. He has the authority to talk about purity in your life. He has the authority to speak about mental illness and physical illness. He has the authority to speak about how to raise your children. And you see, it eventually it comes down to you've got to believe. Is this the voice that I want to listen to? And I want you to know that his voice is the authority. And so let's stand in awe of this voice. But then I think the second application, if you really think long and hard about this, is let's get the gospel to the nations. You see what it says here? It says that every single person will be raised. And then every single person will be sentenced to heaven or hell on the basis of their justifying faith. In other words, every nation. And this is the impetus for us to say we've got to get the gospel out to people who've never heard. They're going to wake up one day and see Jesus Christ speak them into existence. Re-existence. Once again. Only to face judgment. This is why we've got to go. This is why we're sending almost 300 people on short-term mission trips right now. And why we support 135 families right now in the world. This is also why I've really encouraged even our team to... Consider, how do we increase the percentage even of our missions and even move the allotment of our mission dollars more towards people that have never heard the gospel? They've got to hear because this is true. So the first reason that you and I really need to believe in Jesus is because he has the power and the authority to raise and judge every single human being 
by the power of his spoken word. Well, he keeps talking and he says this in verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge and my judgments is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you've never seen. And yet you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the father, for there is one who accuses you, Moses, On whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? See, the second thing I want you to see of why we should be believing in Jesus is because Jesus has a remarkable group of reliable witnesses. You see, in a fallen world, every single one of us are used to compensating for unbelief. Have you ever noticed this? When you were in high school or college and someone said, you should have a credit card. And you went down and said, I don't need a credit card. And they say, well, do you have somebody that can co-sign? What does that mean? It means they don't believe you. Okay, that's what that means. Okay, you're going to spend money. They want somebody that they believe more than you is going to pay their money back. This week, I got somebody sent in a job resume for a job that we're not hiring. Right, but they sent one in, which is great. I've seen many of these and you have too. Have you ever noticed though that at the end of a resume, they fortify it by saying, you know what we should do is let's send three or four or five people that you can call who can validate the credibility of what I'm saying, of what I've done. Why do we put references at the end of a resume? They're built on the back of unbelief. My oldest son just finished his scout project for the highest rank of Eagle, right? He did it this weekend. Now he has to get six recommendations, character references. Why? Because they don't believe him. You know what's funny? The very first thing of the scout law is a scout is trustworthy. Yeah, well, we still don't believe you, right? Get six people who can tell us something about you. We're used to this, and Jesus is too. And so here Jesus is, and he's saying, you know what? Look, I can speak of my own, but I know that you won't accept that. So let me give you this. Here's four references. Anytime you want to look them up, they'll speak. They'll vouch for my credibility. The first one is John the Baptist. Verses 35, uh, 33 to 35. He says, this unique man that you rejoiced in for just a little while kept telling you, behold, look, there's the lamb of God who takes away to the sin of the world. He was the lamp. I was the light inside that lamp. Anytime you want to talk to him about me, go ahead and talk to him. 
The second one is Jesus' miracles. You see this in verse 36. He says, look, he goes, the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. What he's saying here is this, guys, I know that you're all uptight about me doing a miracle on the Sabbath, but you have not stopped to consider that if I can heal a paralyzed man of 38 years by speaking to him, that I might also have the authority to tell him to pick up his mat. So Jesus has done all these miracles to show they all vouch for me that I have authority as the son of God. The third witness he calls is God the Father, verses 37 and 38. He says, the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. What's he saying here? He's saying, look, my Father in heaven cried aloud from the sky at my baptism. He said, this is my beloved what? Son. People heard that. With whom I am well pleased. See, his voice was heard. And so he publicly vouched for Jesus' credibility. And the fourth one is scripture itself. Verse 39 says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm the hero of the Bible. I'm the creator. I'm the fulfillment of Abraham's promise. I'm the lamb to which every single sacrifice points. You keep setting your hope on Moses But I just left heaven and Moses was bowing down before me and worshiping me. And now I'm not there. And so what he's spending his time doing is he's accusing you before the father because you won't believe in me. So what do we do with this province? What do we do with this as people of God? The application here is this is let's fortify our belief by pouring into God's word. See, for you and I, each one of us, we have an entire wall of water, an entire lake against the dam of our belief. And it's pushing. And sometimes it wants to press through. We see things we can't understand. We see things we don't. It's just so hard to grapple with. There's questions in life. There's, there's, There's things that are hard to answer. And the fact is, is that the Bible is literally written to give you not only a picture of John the Baptist's testimony, but also to see the miracles of Jesus and to be able to hear the voice of God himself saying, this is my son. In this scripture, the Bible is the very thing that literally pours multiple levels, layers of concrete upon that dam to fortify it so it's stronger and stronger and stronger. So we can believe Jesus, not only because he has a strong voice, but because he has strong testimonies. He has strong witnesses. And the last thing I want to show you before we take the Lord's Supper is a really difficult one. And it's Jesus loves us enough to expose the seeds of our unbelief. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. What I'm saying is this, is that you should believe in Jesus because Jesus loves you enough to tell you why you don't believe. This is what he does here. I want you to notice that instead of just acknowledging their unbelief and moving on, Jesus goes deeper. He always goes deeper. He's like that master farmer who finds rotten fruit. Instead of burning the field down, he considers the law of the harvest that says that there are seeds that are planted that have a corresponding harvest. If I plant apples, I'm going to get apples. And so what he does is he looks at the fruit on the branch of their unbelief. And he says, there is a corresponding seed that has been planted that keeps feeding this kind of bad fruit. And Jesus goes down, he digs under the tree, he goes into the soil, he picks up the root, he picks up the seeds, and he says, this is the cause of unbelief. This is why. 
And I want to show you what he says. You see, he literally traces their unbelief back to the fruit of desire. He says to them in verse 40, you refuse to come to me. Literally, you don't want to come. For Jesus, he does not look at a lack of evidence as the reason that you may not be believing in Jesus today. He looks at a lack of desire that you don't want to believe Jesus today. And I want to tell you why people wouldn't want to believe. He says in verse 44, the reason. He says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from God? In other words, you can't believe because the seed of ego is planted in your heart and that seed is demanding all of the water. You don't want me because you want human praise. And this is why he even says, look, this is how this works. I don't come in my name, but if another person comes in his name, you receive him. Why would we receive a self-promoting Messiah? It's the same reason of why we love self-promoting celebrities. It's because they serve as an endorsement of our thirst for human praise. We look at them and long what they have. The world is watching them, is making much of them. They're the center. They're in control. And Jesus says this is this is the competing seed in our hearts to believe him at his word. And it is that we want people to praise us. There is an entire book that says that there's one true God and that one true God deserves all worship. And yet every single one of us, we're all glory thieves. We all love to stand in between the sight line between God and his people to say, look at me. Look what I've done. I'm the center. And Jesus is identifying this seed as the cause of these men's unbelief. It's devastating. You see what Jesus is saying here is this, is he came and he humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross. And these Jews knew that if the real Messiah was like this, then he would only endorse the kind of character among people who deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. And because they wanted human praise so much, they could not stand or stomach this kind of Messiah for their desire for human praise would have to die. And they cared more about human praise than they cared about being near Jesus. And so two applications before we, before we take the Lord's Supper that really I want to encourage you as these elements are being passed that you would really ask God, God of these seeds in my heart. The first is let's pray that God would free us from our attraction to pride. It's in all of us. This is not a Jewish problem. This is a Brian Frost problem. This is, a, this is, a you, this is us. This is what's in our heart. And the second thing is, let's give ourselves to finding a greater joy in Christ. I want to ask those that will be serving us this morning, Lord's Supper, if you would come at this time and, and just to prepare for that. But I want you to know that for those of us who have believed in Jesus, we, we've come to learn that praising him is literally sweeter than luring other people to praise us. And we want you to know that for those of you who maybe have not believed in Jesus Christ, we encourage you to see that Jesus is better than our praise. He's better than your boss's praise. He's better than your spouse's praise. And you see, for us to take the Lord's Supper, what we're saying is that, is that the Messiah that came as the humble servant is the kind of Messiah that I want to emulate. And so to take this means that there, there must have been a transformation in each of our lives because we wouldn't want this without a new heart. 
We wouldn't want to emulate someone that doesn't want human praise. And so to take these things means that we're believing in Jesus Christ, that we're trusting him alone. We believe he rose from the dead. And so if you have trusted Jesus Christ, we welcome you to partake. But if you have not, I would ask you to allow these things to pass this morning. So I want to ask you, would you bow and would you pray with us? Ross? Let's pray. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Merciful and mighty God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Thank you, Father, for reminding us that, that your son Jesus is the hero of the Bible, as Brian said. Just thank you for that truth. But yet we're reminded that he, he stood at this table and he said, do this in remembrance of me because he knew we would forget. He knew that we would be busy, that we would be worried about finals or We'd be worried about babies that won't sleep through the night. He'd be worried about bills that can't be paid, and we'd be worried about cancer that never seems to go away. But, Father, you love us, and you forgive us, and you change us from within. So change us again. Love us, O Lord, in Jesus' name.